Good morning, Abundant Life, Blue Springs, Independence. All of you watching online, all of you right here in this auditorium. So last week, Chad preached, did an amazing job. I got to go about Independence, Blue Springs, see the move of God in that part of our city. Guys, it's just awesome. It really is. And I'm just excited to see God moving in radical ways. And that's what he's doing, setting people free. People are coming to faith in Christ. 50 baptisms a week ago. There's something to celebrate here, isn't there? I mean, I think so. Life change. And if God hasn't changed your life, today is the day that it could all begin. We're in a series called 1KC, moving with hundreds of other churches in our city, thousands around the world, seven weeks through the book of Mark together. If you have your Bible, book of Mark, chapter one. We are praying for a move of God, not just in our city, but globally, culminating on Resurrection Weekend. And that's what we're praying for God to do, a real revival, an awakening spiritually. And that's why we're moving as one body with other churches of like faith. Uh, This won't surprise most of you, I don't think, but I love studying the scriptures. Some of you think I'm joking. You laughed. It's like, yeah, right. No, really, I love studying scripture. I'm all alone. All right, I'm not alone. All right. I love studying Scripture because it's there that we find the Savior. Yeah. You learn to know the God of the Word by studying the Word of God. That's why we study the Word of God. But what you may not know is I don't just enjoy studying Scripture. I enjoy studying science. Or neuron stars, or if they're connected to gamma ray bursts, or hyperflares of magnetars, blitzers, or what follow from the dark matter induced collapse of pulsars, of course they could be axiom mini clusters, cosmic string pulsating, or of course something related to the general theory of super radiance, not to mention extraterrestrial activity. I think what they're saying is we don't know. The most powerful cosmic event in the universe. And they don't know what causes it, but I know. I know. Because the God that created it is the power behind it. And he shows us his glory, his majesty, his power in the things that he has created, in the things that he has made, even his invisible attributes. And did you know that 1 John 1, 5 says, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. You see, God has a way of invading the darkness with the light. And that is what happened 2,000 years ago where the light of God came down from heaven to invade the darkness of our world. There was this explosion more powerful than this FRB, this explosion in the cosmos. More powerful yet was the explosion of sin upon all of creation. You can read about it in Genesis chapter 3. The world is still reeling. There was this explosion of sin and it wrecked all of creation. It wrecked God's perfection. But 2,000 years ago, there was an explosion of compassion whose name was Jesus. There was this explosion of redemption and reconciliation. And that's what Jesus came to do. He is the God of the resurrection. He makes all things new. And he wants today to make it new, yes, for even you. Now, normally, you guys know my style. I would like to preach through Mark verse by verse, line by line, and take longer than seven weeks to do it. But you can't really do it justice in seven weeks. But I'm trying to be a team player. Okay? 
This is what we're doing as, you know, the body of Christ across our city and even beyond. So I'm trying to be a team player, and I'm trying to preach through Mark in seven weeks. It's impossible. So I'm supposed to cover the first three chapters of Mark today in one sermon. Fortunately, we're in the impossible campaign. <laughs> Because this is impossible, but I'm going to try. So here it goes, all right? In the first three chapters of the book of Mark, Jesus is going about doing miracles and casting out demons to prove that he really is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the promised one, that he really is God's son, that he is the promised Savior King that would one day come to reverse the curse of Adam's sin for all men and all women, to reverse the curse of sin upon all creation, and then one day usher in a kingdom that would be without sin, that would be with out in that would all suffering forever endeavor no more forever endeavor amen first three chapters of mark just did it yeah i thought it was impossible it wasn't got it done all right and here's what happens the first three chapters jesus seriously he explodes onto the world scene chad preached this amazing message last week with 50 baptisms and he preached on baptism and jesus's baptism and with jesus's baptism there's this explosion all of a sudden he comes out of nowhere and the light begins invading the darkness and he begins going about the Galilee, and he's doing the miracles. What is he doing? He's trying to prove that he really is God. God promised throughout the Old Testament Hebrew Scriptures that one day there would be a Savior King who'd be fully humanity, yet fully deity. And so what's he doing with these miracles? He's proving he's God. Only God can do this stuff. That he's more than just a man. He's more than just a rabbi. He's more than just a teacher. He's more than just a Jewish carpenter. He really is the Christ. And that's why he's doing this miracle. He's proving he's the fulfillment of John 1.14. Remember John 1 and verse 1. In the beginning was the word, that's Jesus, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And verse 14 says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He is proving he is God in the flesh. Because only God could do this stuff, right? And so that's what he's doing. He's living proof of a loving God to a watching world. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, now you know where he got it from. Jesus was living proof of a living God to a watching world. That's what he's doing in the first three chapters, in the early days of his ministry. Now, he comes across a leper. I told you two weeks ago as we launched this series out of Mark chapter 10, the story of blind Bartimaeus. Every single time Jesus would heal someone physically, he was proving to those who were watching that he really was the fulfillment of these prophecies. He is the Messiah. He's God with us, Emmanuel. But he's also showing us, again, teaching us visibly things we can see to help us understand spiritually the things we can't see. This is how God teaches. And so every single time he would do a miracle physically, it was teaching us what he wants to do in our life spiritually. When he healed the blind man, he's teaching us he wants to heal us of our blindness spiritually. He wants to take the blinders off our heart and mind so that we can see our need for the light of God and the redemption of the Son of God. Today, he's going to do the same with a leper. And it's a physical story of a physical healing, but remember, it's our story. It's a story of you and me and what God wants to do in our life personally. Mark chapter 1 and verse 40. You ready for this? Say, let's go. Here we go. It says this. Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion. Everybody say Compassion. See, God our Father does not have a heart of condemnation. He doesn't want to fry you. He wants to forgive you. 
See, a lot of people see God in the wrong manner. He, he wants to forgive you. He's not up there waiting to fry you. One wrong move, you're done, buddy. You know what it says in Colossians 1.15? It says Jesus was the visible image of the invisible God. Again, God teaches us what we cannot see by giving us something we can see. He sent Jesus so we could understand God we cannot see. You wanna know what God is like? Look no farther than Jesus. Jesus is moved with compassion. I told you, this is an explosion of compassion. He stretches out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. I cannot tell you historically how radical revolutionary this was. For Jesus to stretch out his hand and physically touch a leper, that was crazy. I don't know if you realize this, but leprosy in the ancient world was the most dreaded, most feared disease ever. Just think about the last year with this pandemic. Worldwide fear, dread. I don't want to minimize it, it's real. At the same time, statistically, if you're under 70, you have a 99.5% chance of surviving. Yet think about the dread this pandemic has caused. Pandemics are new to our generation, but understand they are not new at all to the ancient world. There was always a pandemic somewhere. And leprosy was a highly contagious disease. It was deeply, deeply feared. There was no cure for it. It killed 100% of the time. It was absolutely always fatal. And people would dread it because it was so contagious. Nobody would touch someone, yet Jesus touches the untouchables. He loves the unlovables. What the world throws away, God picks up. He's moved with compassion for this man. Lepers would have been cast out of society. They were cast out of their city. If you were found to have leprosy, you could never even go back and see your family because it was so contagious. You can see why it was so dreaded. They would form leper colonies. And do you understand the picture, the story is our story? You see, leprosy in the Bible is a picture of sin. Spiritually, we've all been born lepers and need to be cleansed. Do you realize that what that makes the church? This is just a leper colony. We are. We're just a bunch of lepers that have been cleansed, praying that other lepers will also get cleansed. Because if you've been born again, if you put your faith in him, this is your story. This is what has happened to you. And I want you to know something. Anytime Jesus would heal someone, let's say a blindness, it would say that he was healed. He healed the blind man, but he cleanses the leper. See, there's a difference. He's very specific with the language. He doesn't just heal the blind man. He cleanses the blind man. You know why? Because we need to be more than simply forgiven of our sin. We need to be cleansed of our sin. We need to be delivered and forgiven from our sin, but we need to be cleansed of our sin. In other words, Jesus didn't just come to forgive us of what we've done. He's come to deliver us and cleanse us of what we are. And you can't change what you do until Jesus changes what you is. Because you do what you do because you is what you is. You see, you don't become a sinner when you sin. You sin because you are a sinner. See, we need to be cleansed not just of what we've done outwardly, but who we are inwardly. Sinners by nature. 
And I want you to notice the language of 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin, but then stop there. He comes to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, he doesn't just want to forgive you of your sin. He wants to cleanse you from your sin. That's something that takes place within. And this is why, listen, the answer to changing your life and overcoming that addiction or that life-controlling issue in your life, whatever it is, it is more than just behavior modification, self-reformation, New Year's resolution. I'm going to try harder, going to do better. No, the answer is to become a new creation. What we need is inner transformation. We need to be cleansed of what we've done and what we are inwardly before we can be forgiven and delivered from what we do outwardly. That is the nature of leprosy. I want you to see the parallels and why God puts this story in Scripture. Like sin, leprosy was a disease that started beneath the surface long before it could be seen. See, this is always the nature of sin. It's not what we do outwardly, immediately. No, no, it all begins inwardly. You see, the problem of the human being is a problem of the human heart. They might live with leprosy for months or even years before they even knew it, before anybody could see it. It lurked beneath the surface. That is the nature of sin. And this is the problem for every human being. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah 17, 9. You see, the problem of human beings is a problem of the human heart. This goes completely contrary to our modern world. You know what our modern world says? Well, people are basically good that sometimes misbehave. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. No, what you're learning here is we're not basically good people that sometimes do bad things. We're basically fundamentally bad people that can sometimes do good things. You see, that's what happened with the fall of Adam. When I talk about this explosion of sin that wrecked all of creation, that explosion of sin has been passed on to every man and every woman. This is why it's so easy to do wrong, even you know what is right. And let's just be honest, sometimes you've done wrong when you knew what was right. Come on. I'm dying up here. I am not alone, I guarantee. All right, I know. I know you because I know me. I need to be delivered from me. You need to be delivered from you, all right? We've seen the enemy. He is we. This is what we're learning. It's a problem of the heart. You know, this is what the greatest Christian that ever lived, I think the Apostle Paul, arguably the greatest Christian who ever lived. You can go with Peter if you want to. Peter was a good one too. But Paul, I'm going with Paul. He wrote half the New Testament under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I'm just going with Paul. Peter, awesome. Here's what he says, Romans 7, 18. All that is in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. See, we need to be delivered from this delusion that we're, we're good people. You, know, you think you're a good person because you compare yourself to other people and you can always find somebody in your life that you're gooder than. Problem is, keep looking, you'll find somebody that's gooder than you. So you're making the wrong comparison. You think you're a good person because in your mind, you're better than most people you know. Now, wait a minute. The comparison has to be with God, who is holy, who is sinless. And that's why Jesus would say in Matthew 19, no one is good except for God. 
And that's why Paul could say, though he was a godly man that loved Jesus, all that is in me, that is in my flesh, dwells nothing good. Apart from Jesus, there's nothing good in any of us. There is evil, there's sin, there's wickedness that dwells within us all. Now check this out, leprosy would attack the flesh. When Paul said, all that is in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells, he wasn't speaking of your skin. Remember, it's a physical picture of a spiritual problem. Flesh in the New Testament speaks of your sin nature. This is why we sin. This is why it's so easy to sin. When you know what is right, you still do wrong. Because this leprosy is a picture of sin. Like sin, leprosy would begin as a tiny speck on the flesh that would eventually take over the entire body. It would begin as just a little spot, a little speck on the flesh. But given time, eventually, gradually, it would take over the entire body from head to toe. That's the nature of sin. It begins small. It begins as just a speck in your life. No one wakes up one day and thinks to themselves, you know, of all the sins I've committed, I have never committed adultery. That's on my things to-do list. I'm gonna try to do that one today. That is not ever how it works. That's not how it works. Nobody thinks to themselves, today I'm gonna commit adultery, I'm gonna blow up my family, I'm gonna lose my marriage, I'm gonna lose my children. Yes, let me do that today. It doesn't begin that way. No, it begins as just a little speck of your flesh that begins to run away. Just one flicker, one thought, one time. Just one glance, the eyes linger a little too long. I can control this. It's not gonna run away. No, no, it all begins as just a little speck. Nobody wakes up one day and suddenly they're an alcoholic. Nobody is born an alcoholic. It doesn't happen that way. It begins as one speck, one drink, just one too many times. That's how it happens. One speck. So small, so subtle but it begins to grow and spread. And pretty soon what was almost imperceptible has taken over your life. Do you know what? Jesus, if you read this whole text, he's gonna cleanse this leper. He's gonna tell this leper, go back and show yourself to the priest. Present yourself to the priest. This is part of the Mosaic law. The priests in the Old Testament were to do several things besides making sacrifices and leading worship. They were to constantly stand guard against an outbreak of leprosy within the camp, within the community. That's why he was to present himself to the priest. Now, if you know the metaphor, if you know the shadow that is being cast on the New Testament, what you know is the apostle Peter will write, as children of God, we are all priests of God. New Testament priests. You know what this means? We should all be standing guard against an outbreak of leprosy in the body. We should all be standing guard against an outbreak of sin in our life, an outbreak of sin in our group, our community. I need people to point out the blind spots in my life because we've all got them. I need people in my life that love me enough to say, Phil, I see a speck on your flesh. You need to be aware of this. Eventually, it could take over. You see, that's what community is for. That is what having a group is for. A spiritual family is for. It's not just to have potlucks and have really awesome fellowships around the Super Bowl. No, it's to get beneath the surface of our lives. You know why? Because that's where leprosy dwells. That's where leprosy begins, like sin. Listen carefully. Like sin, leprosy attacked the sensory nerves of the body. The leper eventually lost feeling. 
There are records, y'all, of people walking around with leprosy and out of nowhere, check this out, their nose falls off. I hear older folks say once in a while, man, my body is just falling apart. I didn't say old folks. There's no old folks here, just older. I can say that. I've crossed a threshold in my life. I'm not going to tell you what threshold it is. I crossed the threshold of 40 a while back. Yeah, my, my, my body's just falling apart. Now, just think, as a leper, your body really would fall apart, literally fall off. You had a nose one moment, it's gone. Your flesh is decayed. There are records, written accounts of lepers waking up in the morning. Their fingers, their toes have been gnawed off by rats and rodents in the night, and they did not even wake up. Here's the reason why. They lost all feeling. God gave you nerves in your body to warn you about pain. God gave you that same nervous system morally. It's called a conscience. And that moral conscience is meant to warn you about sin. But when you sin over and over and over again in that same area over and over and over again, you lose your conscience. You lose your ability to feel what God made you to feel. No, you are not what the world tells you, just a body of flesh and bone and hormones. You are a human being. What that means is you have a moral conscience. This is what separates you from all the other created kingdom. You are not just a highly evolved animal. You have a soul and a spirit. This is what makes you unique. And God gave you a conscience so you could feel pain when you sin. This is why the first time you looked at pornography, you felt guilty. You were supposed to. But you look over and over and over again, pretty soon you're numb to it. You no longer feel the thing you're meant to. This is how people live in sin over and over again. This is what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Timothy 4, 2. Speaking about the times in which we live, he said the last times of the latter days, we're gonna embrace doctrines of demons, living in sin, and check this out, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. The only way you as a child of God can live in sin is because you have embraced lies, the lies of the enemy, lies of hypocrisy, And what happens is when you do that, your soul no longer feels what you're supposed to feel. You're numb now to the pain that sin is meant to bring in your life to make you retreat from it and be repelled by it. And here's the reality. We live in a society. This ought to be what alarms us the most. We live now in a world that's lost all feeling when it comes to sin, numb to sin. And not just the world, but the body of Christ those who would name the name of Jesus, lies in hypocrisy that says Christianity is compatible with adultery, lies of hypocrisy that says Christianity is compatible with a life of promiscuity, lives of hypocrisy that says Christianity is compatible with a lifestyle of homosexuality. No, that is not compatible with Christianity. God made you a moral creature with a moral conscience, but when you sin over and over again, you've embraced that lie All of a sudden, you quit feeling what God meant for you to feel. Your conscience is seared as with a hot iron. That's that's what fire does. 16 years of age. uh, I I had a horrible fireworks accident. Burned over various places of my body. Three weeks in the hospital. 
Don't have time to tell you the story. Just suffice it to say at that time, my life had more body than brains. There's still a spot on my leg right here, side of my leg. I can't feel a thing. It's numb to this day. Didn't just destroy the sin. See, leprosy is more than skin deep. Destroyed the nerves. Can't feel it. This is what sin does over and over again. You take a hot iron and you singe the nerve ending spiritually God gave you. And this is the only reason, listen, I know people in our church right now. I'm not talking about another church. I'm talking about our church. I know people in our church right now in my pastoral ministry that are living in adultery. Even though they claim to name the name of Jesus, like I'm a Christian, but I'm going to do this because it makes me happy. Lies and hypocrisy. The only way you can do that is you believe the lies of the enemy and your conscience is seared. Now I'm going to tell you, it is a theological impossibility as a child of God, as a Christian, to live in sin over and over again, year after year. We all struggle with sin. Listen, church, I don't worry as a pastor about people's salvation who tell me, Pastor Phil, I'm a Christian, but I still struggle with sin. Of course you do. We all do. We all struggle with sin. We all struggle with temptation. A Christian can commit any sin. It's not that we cannot sin. But here's the promise of Scripture, that if you're a Christian, when you sin, there will be a struggle. I worry about the people who claim to be Christians, that claim to have salvation, and when they sin, there is no struggle. Because that's a theological impossibility. There's a promise in Hebrews chapter 12 that says this, whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every child that he receives. And he that is without chastening is an illegitimate child. Meaning if you can sin and win, you're not really one of his. If you can sin without any conviction, you're not really one of his. You're an illegitimate child because the promise is you may backslide, but as a child of God, when you backslide, he's gonna put it on your backside. You may have a blast, but it's not going to last. He's going to paddle your little bottom. When you backslide, he's going to put it on your backside so you slide back up again and you get right with him. If you can live in sin over and over again, year after year, as a lifestyle, you need to wonder, you need to question, am I really born again? Because that is theologically an impossibility. This is where I live. Listen, church, I know what I'm talking about because... Till the time I was 21, I mean, I'm talking as a young adult, teenager, there's nothing about my life would have said, Phil's a born-again man. He's a Christian young man. I, I was living in sin. You know why? Because this, this was my Jesus. This is the Jesus I was raised on. I had a cartoon Jesus. He wasn't real. This is not the Christ that created the cosmos, my perception of Jesus was the Sunday school Jesus, a cartoon Jesus. This is not somebody that is real to me. This is not somebody that can really change my life, that can really affect my life. And the only way we can live in sin and still claim to be Christians is if we've got a cartoon Jesus as opposed to the Jesus that created the cosmos. I will promise this same Jesus that shines brighter with more power than 500 million suns. You cannot meet him and your life stay the same. You cannot meet him and your life not change. But if this is your Jesus, you can have your Jesus and have your junk. 
And for a lot of us, that's what we've done. That's what I did. Listen carefully. Like sin, leprosy was a slow death, but eventually it always destroyed its victim. Every single time, 100% of the time, it was fatal. It might have taken years and years and years and years, but eventually it would kill you. There are some of us here living in sin. We have a secret, and we think we're doing just fine. I mean, it seems like I'm doing a just fine. Doesn't seem to me like I'm under the judgment of God. No, listen carefully. There are scientific laws that govern the universe, and there are spiritual laws that govern the universe. One of those spiritual laws is Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. You may be doing just fine, but there is a payday someday. There will be a payday someday. Your sin will eventually surface. You cannot outrun it And eventually the wages of sin is death. And it's a slow death, like leprosy. You might have lived with this in the ancient days for years and years and years, but eventually you were going to die of your leprosy. Do you understand? That is the nature of sin. James 1.13, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Now, this this is what James is saying. It's like leprosy. It begins within, not on the outside, on the inside. We are enticed by those inner sinful desires. It's where it begins. It always begins beneath the surface. It says, then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. Here's what happens. Your sinful desires you have on the inside, we all do. You're not alone. What happens is you begin to entertain it. And then it conceives something. It makes a baby. It's called a baby sin. It gives birth to a baby sin. And like any baby, you can control it. A baby's not a threat to you. You think it's just a baby sin. It's just a little sin. I can control it. I can manage it. I can contain it. The problem is you feed it. I have three grown children. They were once babies. Guess why they're now grown? I fed them. You feed your sin over and over again. You're feeding your flesh. Guess what happens? That little baby sin that once you could control becomes a great big sin, and now you're under its control. You once could hang on to it. Now it's hanging on to you. You once were feeding on it. Now it's feeding on you. And that is why James says, don't be deceived. Do not be deceived, my beloved brother. And there are some of us here that are being deceived. You're under the deception of sin. You think you can have Jesus and your junk. You can manage it. I can contain it. I can control it. And you are being deceived. Listen, the New Testament message is don't be deceived. Galatians 6 and verse 7, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. And he that sows to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, and he that sows to the Spirit shall reap life everlasting. Choose life, because when you choose sin, you're choosing death. Choose Jesus. In the ancient days, leprosy is something one would hide maybe for years. It was slow growing. And knowing they would be cast out of the community, like in the ancient days, they would be cast out of the synagogue. Listen, sin will isolate you from others. It will isolate you from God. That's what leprosy did. So what would they do? They would hide it. They would cover it up. It was easy to do early on. 
If I have a speck here, just cover it up. If I have a speck here, just cover it up. And they would cover it up. They would live with that secrecy, maybe for years, but eventually that secret would surface. Friends, listen carefully. Some of us here have a secret. That's sin. And you're living the cover-up. But God loves you too much to let you live in the cover-up. What he wants is a clean-up. And when you come out of hiding, you will find healing. I wish every person here would go through our recovery ministry called Regen, because we're all recovering from something. You say, Phil, I haven't done adultery. I'm not like hooked on pornography. You don't have to be. You know the Pharisees of Jesus' day? A Pharisee can see sin in others. They cannot see it in themselves. Well, Phil, I haven't done the big sins. Oh, you just got baby sins. See, the problem with sin is not that it makes you bad, it's that it makes you dead. The wages of sin is death. And we like to rank sins, big sins, little sins, but you understand there's no ranking the dead. You're either dead or you're not. There's not different levels of dead. You can say there's different levels of sin, but there's not different levels of dead. That's what the Pharisees couldn't understand. They didn't do the big sins, but they were still dead. You see, we're all recovering from something. If I could, every person here would go through Regen. It's a new ministry, recovery ministry called Regeneration, where people are getting free. You know why they're getting free? Because the light of God invades the dark places and spaces of our life. And I've asked a dear lady named Ashley to come. Ashley is leading Regen along with many others, a former leper that is helping other lepers get cleansed. Would you give it up for Ashley today as she comes and shares her story of God's redemption? Thank you. Hello, I would like to preface my testimony with a spoken word piece. Um, this piece was done in 2018. This was during a time when I didn't know how to pray to God, but I formulated my communication with him through poems. And so this poem that I'm going to deliver to you is actually called Deliverance. Lord, deliver me from me, not the public or private me, but the secret me, the one that nobody knows but you and me. The secret me, the me that thinks of the things that I done or did but can't get rid because I locked them up and closed the lid. Lord, deliver me from me. The me that conjures the sinful thoughts that I was taught when I was young and dumb, emotions gone numb, deliver me. Lord, deliver me from me. The me that knows the ramifications of my sins because that was then when I didn't believe in sin. Lord, deliver me from me. The me that regrets compromising my soul for the flesh that gets a hold of me. My spirit is choking because my vessel is broken, holding on to shame because half the time I couldn't remember their names. The guilt, it increases as my faith decreases. I no longer believe because to believe is to see that he died for me. And the sins that I leave once I confess to he that made the ultimate sacrifice for me. The sin I was in is no longer of myself because I cried for his help. 
asking, Lord, if they know my secrets, not Victoria's or antiperspirant, but the secret life I withheld, the one that my mind's constantly dwelled in. How can you deliver me from me, this I ask? But isn't he the God of possible when man is impossible? Isn't he the God of mercy and grace, the God of reconciliation and faith, the God of favor that holds the spiritual key, the God that provides like Matthew 6, Lord, deliver me from me, not the public or private one, but deliver me from the secret me. Can I get an amen, church? Deliverance is the word that comes to mind when I reflect on my testimony. Hi, my name is Ashley. I have a new life in Christ and I'm recovering from the idol of image, sexual immorality, pride, perfectionism, and self-preservation. I began my journey at the age of 13 when I walked down the altar to get saved. As a 13-year-old striving to please my parents and be perfect in every way as possible to fit my mother's perfect image, in my mind, I felt the pressure to please my parents in getting baptized on Father's Day as a gift to my father. Not my heavenly father, but my earthly father. See, the idea of me getting saved didn't come from the belief that Jesus was my Lord and Savior, but the belief that my parents would be proud. After getting baptized, my life wasn't changed because I didn't see the true meaning of salvation, and I didn't see myself as a new creation either. Even through, I struggled with depression and masturbation at the time. I didn't associate these things as bad, but things that were a part of my everyday life. I learned to carry the facade of being fine externally, but internally I was suffering, tormented by the pressure to be perfect in my parents' eyes, because image, image was everything. I was taught what people saw on the outside only mattered. I later became a slave to sexual promiscuity, alcoholism, and drug abuse. I struggled with who I was and what love looked like. My family dynamic wasn't the most loving either, more so regimented and emotionally detached. I looked for love and value in friendships and relationships, trying to meet the approval of people through being my perfect self. When relationships failed, I figured I would perfect my sexuality in order to gain commitment from the guy that I was dating. When friendships failed, I retreated in isolation and beat myself up for the loss. I saw friendships and relationships as a business transaction, and I saw myself, I saw myself as a commodity. I didn't value people, their feelings, or the repercussions of my actions. Just what I could get out of them for being my, my own benefit of being a, called a good friend or being committed in a relationship. By college graduation, I come to a roadblock with my life and needed to do something with this since I rejected going to pharmacy school. I found myself yet again in another abusive relationship, this time with a pastor that was 16 years older than me. At this point, not seeing the importance of church or God, I turned away from both, but God never turned away from me. As I reflect in the present, there were moments God left me warnings and signs of his mercy and protection like the time I was in a five-car accident, and if I had not heard a voice say, put your seatbelt on. After so many years of not wearing one, I could have faced the possibility of not being present today, but instead I walked away without a bruise or a scratch. Or the time in college I playfully took holy oil and placed it on my forehead before going to bed. I had the most traumatic nightmare, 
that seemed so real of me walking through hell's flames everywhere, seeing others in torment. To most, this would ignite change for repentance, but not me. I was stubborn and thought I was untouchable. It wasn't until four years of running away from God and yet another abusive relationship where I found myself coming from the health clinic yet again that I turned to God and submitted myself to him in December 2014. I had come to my breaking point and I felt physical and emotional fatigue. I had been doing it my, my way with my life, my family, my friendships, and relationships with guys that I had been in a dating experience with. I found myself in my car crying and pleading to God for his help, admitting that I was tired of living the life of promiscuity, drunkenness, and depression. I was tired of crying every night on my pillow to bring me to a deep sleep. I heard him say, I've been pursuing you even when you had not been pursuing me. After that plea, I felt a peace come over me. 2015 was the year I started a new journey of not dating anyone but dating Christ alone and learning who I was in him. I downloaded the Bible app and started to talk to him. I found myself leaning on scriptures like Psalms 139.14, where this word says, I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. My sister asked me to come to church with her, which I was fearful of. I wrestled with shame, guilt, and regret so much from my past that I surely thought someone in this Pentecostal church could feel it and prophesy that I was a plague amongst God's people. But it was the opposite. As I would shy away from others in the church, it seemed like the more his people would seek me for fellowship. I started attending the young adults Bible study when the ministry leader asked me several times to come. That is when I started investing more time and learning about God's word. Christ was showing me not only truth in the word, but love through others. Sooner or later, I felt a tug on my heart to become more active in ministry. As I found the confidence in Christ to become more involved in our dating Christ, I felt a desire to be with someone but was fearful from previous dating experiences. So on the night of November 6, 2016, I wrote a letter to the Lord thanking him first and foremost for this journey. I told him about my imperfections and my fears, but I desired to be blessed with a husband that exuded only Christ's love. January of 2017, that's when I met my husband. At the time, I didn't know he would be that, let alone fathom in my mind that was God's plan. For so many years, I believed that I was not marriage material and motherhood was not for me. But that was the trick of the enemy wanting to destroy who Christ was building up. We got married March 7, 2020. It's funny how God has a way of putting a dent in your own plans because as I was pushing Keith away in his pursuit to know me, Christ was peeling back more of me and my wall to self-protect as I usually have done in the past. He revealed that I no longer must walk in shame that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I still wrestle with shame and guilt, so I confess my sins to Christ and I confess to a close friend of mine and she prayed for me. I still wrestled with perfection and wanted to control everything in my life, but Christ showed me his grace is sufficient. His strength is made perfect in weakness. I no longer had to have it all together anymore. And finally, he showed me the meaning of true salvation. One night studying D1 on lesson eight, proclaiming my faith through baptism and communion, learning about what it means to not only be baptized in water, but also baptized in the Holy Spirit. 
At 13, I found that I experienced one, but not the other, because I didn't believe that time. But at 34, on April 24, 2019, I believed, I confessed, I repented, and I proclaimed, not in water, not in my earthly father, but in Christ Jesus, that I received salvation by rededicating my life to him. Christ allowed me to walk in boldness, sharing my testimony and spreading the good news. I truly believe it was put upon me to walk out of the secret bondage I had with my struggles for it states in Romans 2.16, in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel, and to walk this journey with Christ assisting women and seeking him for healing and restoration. And so this is how Christ delivered me from myself going down a path of death through sin and restored me as identifying myself as chosen and as friend. Thank you. What are we, just a leper colony? We're all in recovery, but this is what Jesus does. He recovers things that have been lost. He resurrects things that have died. He restores that which is broken. Hi, my name is Phil. I have a new life in Christ. I'm recovering from pride, lust, and people pleasing. I'm not pretending. See, this leper is about to get cleansed, but to get cleansed and get healed, he had to come out of hiding. It's time to stop the cover-up. God begins to clean up. Look at what happens in Mark 1:41. Then Jesus moved with compassion. Leprosy had this stain. It was a thing of shame and stigma. When Jesus touched this man, he was eliminating the stigma the shame. He had compassion. God doesn't come at your sin with condemnation. He comes with compassion. If you want healing, there's healing. Leprosy doesn't exist today like it did in the ancient world. You know why? There was a cure all along. They didn't know what it was. Today I'm telling you the cure. He has the help, and his name is Jesus. He says, I am willing, be cleansed. Not the cartoon Jesus, but the God of the cosmos, the God that spoke light into the darkness, that brought somethingness out of nothingness, is the God that wants to hold your heart and bring light to the dark places, hidden places of your life. Would you bow with me? Jesus, I pray for every person here today, every person watching online, that today would be the day, like this leper, to come out of hiding, to find healing. And I want you to pray with me right now. If there's an area of your life that you've never fully been free, or maybe you have never truly put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ personally, you don't know your destiny if you died where you would be today, that can change. I want you to pray with me right now, church over in Blue Springs, Independence, online, right here in this auditorium. 
The Lord is delivering you from that deception, that bondage. He's made his move, but he's waiting on you to make yours. Pray this with me. Jesus, I know that I've sinned. Go ahead, pray this right where you are. I know that I cannot get to heaven apart from you. But I believe you died for my sin, that you rose again. And as you had the power to cleanse this leper, I know you have the power to cleanse me too, to make me clean again and whole again, healthy again. And I receive you today as my Savior, my Lord, the Christ that created all that is. Jesus, make me a new creation too. Church, I'm gonna come off this platform, I'm gonna get on my knees at this altar, and I'm gonna pray for a move of God, that there would be a move of healing and grace, an explosion of redemption. Maybe right there in your living room where you're watching from, you join us on your knees. If you pray today just now with me, I want you to come and pray with us. Maybe you need to pray today for yourself, just a prayer of confession. Let God begin to have that secret place. Maybe you need to come pray for somebody else you know that is caught in that web, that snare of sin. But join me right here, let's pray together. Take joy, my King.
take your next step right now or the devil will try to steal that victory if you try to do this in secrecy and go solo so there's a next steps card take it to the next steps desk we want to connect you to help you grow now take this a little farther and walk this out he loves us but listen the love of God is what sets us free from sin it's not a license to sin see it's the grace of God that delivers us from sin it's not so we can still live in sin. We were made to be free, free men, free women. The sun shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. Let's fight for freedom every day and fight for one another. Church, I love you a whole bunch. There's gonna be some people here if you need prayer. Some of you minister to you. There's gonna be a prayer team here. Come this way as others are going that way. God bless you. Have a blessed, blessed day.